Turn then to the book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet on the run. Uh, God had said to Jonah, you go to Nineveh and preach against it. And uh, Jonah wasn't very keen on that idea. Nineveh, of course, was the capital of Assyria. They were the leading world power uh, at that time. A series of world powers through Old Testament periods. It was Egypt and Assyria and then Babylon and Medo-Persia and then Greece and finally Rome. Uh, but uh, Nineveh, possibly the largest city in the world and certainly the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now, if you were told to go and preach the gospel there, what would your feeling be? Probably you'd be scared. I would. Uh, you'd feel, well, that's a, a terrible thing. That doesn't seem to have been the main problem with Jonah. Uh, we'll see that more in chapter 4. But Jonah's main concern was God's compassion and that God might have mercy upon Nineveh and save them and bless them. Uh, and Israel at that time were in a very poor state. They were disobedient. They were far uh, from God. Uh, and what would the situation be uh, if Israel is disobedient to the Lord, knows little of God's blessing, and Nineveh turns to the Lord, God blesses them? Well, who's going to be the real people of God? Was Jonah fearful of that? It's a complex situation, but that seems to be uh, Jonah's main fear. Uh, and he speaks of that in chapter 4. God's compassion was what made him angry uh, when Nineveh uh, turned uh, to the Lord. But the fact is, he was a prophet on the run. Do we ever find ourselves in that situation on the run from God? I'm sure not geographically, not likely anyway, uh, but are there situations when perhaps we know God wants us to do this, and we do something else. Uh, God wants us to you know, gather to worship him, and we prefer to do something else. God wants us to come together for prayer, and we prefer to do something else, perhaps other things in your life. Uh, you know God wants you to do. Uh, perhaps God has challenged you from his word that you should be doing this, uh, but you don't want to do it. And so in a sense, whilst you're not like Jonah with the... Uh, Know, geographical changes in Jonah's life, it's possible, isn't it, for Christians to be running away from God, doing what uh, we know is not pleasing to him. But God cares for his people. And whilst he's grieved when we sin, he doesn't abandon us. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We, if we're God's children and sometimes we get cold in heart, uh, sometimes we get away from the Lord. The Lord doesn't abandon us. He's still gracious toward us. But it's a serious thing to sin, isn't it? When a believer sins, there are several things at stake. One is the honor of God. We can overlook that, can't we? Uh, and you may have heard people say about a certain person in your workplace and professes to be a Christian and doesn't live like it. And maybe you've heard people say, well, if, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. God is dishonored, isn't he, by that uh, kind of thing. If we profess to be believers and don't live like believers, we dishonor God. And we must not forget that. When we sin, we dishonor the Lord. 
Of course, the spiritual welfare of the person is at heart. Uh, if we're walking in disobedience, we're doing those things we know are not pleasing uh, to the Lord, uh, we're not going to have a close relationship with the Lord, are we? We're going to be walking at a distance. We're going to be cold in heart. And so our own spiritual welfare will be affected by our sin. And then, of course, our own testimony. Uh, you know, when you make a profession of faith, say in your workplace, people, you start telling people, I've become a Christian, I've turned to the Lord, I want to please Him. Uh, people may not say much, but they'll be watching you. They'll be watching you very closely. And if they observe inconsistent behavior, uh, they're very ready to point the finger. So a lot of things at stake uh, when a Christian um, believe, uh, dis, uh, disobeys God and uh, walks in a, a way that's not pleasing to him. Now, of course, with Jonah, there was another factor, the spiritual good of Nineveh. God wanted him to send him there for a very good reason. We saw earlier that God wonderfully overruled Jonah's disobedience for good in the conversion of a shipload of sailors. Uh, that's one of the amazing things of chapter 1, isn't it? When the storm uh, suddenly ceased, when Jonah was thrown overboard, uh, these sailors all made vows to God. They turned to the Lord. It seems that they were uh, converted. What a, a wonderful thing uh, that was. But having taken care of that, the Lord now returns to his dealings with Jonah. When the sailors knew that Jonah was the problem for this storm, you remember they cast lots and in God's sovereign providence the lot fell upon Jonah and indicated him as the main troublemaker, the cause for this uh, storm. The sailors still try to save him. That's amazing when you think of the hardness of heathen hearts. So these people did their best to row to land to save Jonah, that was a, a, an amazing thing. But eventually they threw him in. Jonah said, you've got to throw me in. This storm won't cease unless you throw me in. And eventually uh, they did. And then, of course, two amazing things happened. The storm ceased immediately. You see that? The sea ceased from its raging when they hurled him into the sea. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They realized this was no natural phenomenon. This was a, a really a miracle, an amazing uh, act uh, of God. And the other thing, of course, that was amazing here, uh, there was a fish ready to swallow Jonah. Now, you're probably aware that Jonah is one of the most uh, defamed books in the Old Testament and uh, because of the very fact that the, the account of Jonah being swallowed and uh, kept alive in the uh, fish's belly for three days and three nights. And people say, well, for one thing, you don't get fish that big in the Mediterranean. Uh, and that's impossible for anyone to survive uh, after all these fish or whale, whatever it was, uh, constantly taking water into their mouths to get the, uh, the plankton and small uh, food uh, particles. And uh, there's no way Jonah could have survived well, we've got to realize this was a miracle. This is no ordinary event. Uh, certainly, someone couldn't uh, survive in a fish's mouth or belly for three days and three nights. Uh, but with God, nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible with God. And uh, we must see this very clearly uh, as being a miracle. 
God prepare this creature. It may not have been any normal uh, fish or uh, sea monster, whatever it was, but God prepared that. God, the Lord appointed, we read, this great fish in the last verse of chapter uh, 1. So it was a miracle on two counts, the fish being there at the right time, uh, and then, uh, of course, the uh, Jonah being preserved uh, for three days and three nights. Gave time for Jonah to reflect, didn't he? That period in the belly of the fish, this prayer comes out of the belly of the fish. It wasn't when he was vomited out, it was from the belly of the fish that uh, Jonah prayed. So uh, we will see Jonah's prayer, his song of thanksgiving. First thing we might notice is his distress. You can hardly imagine a worse situation, uh, can you? Uh, His physical condition was grim from the roaring waves to the depths of the sea to the belly of this uh, great uh, sea uh, monster, uh, a slimy, stinking environment. Just imagine being in that uh, situation. But you know, his spiritual condition and distress was even worse. He talks in verse 4, Uh, of being driven away from your sight, banished. Uh, The Lord, as it almost seems, is is abandoning Jonah at that time. That's certainly uh, the way it felt uh, to Jonah. And ever since Jonah refused to go to Nineveh, it was a a downhill course. When you read through chapter 1, he went down to Joppa. He went down into the heart of the ship. He went down into the sea. He went down into the belly of the fish. You know, when we disobey God, it's a downward course. Yeah, there may be a natural prosperity. Things might seem to go well. Uh, but when you deliberately get away from the Lord, whether it's just from coldness of heart or specific sin, it's a downward course. And it's a sad thing to even contemplate, isn't it? Believers getting away from God. Believers walking in disobedience to the Lord as Jonah uh, was. It's a downward course for us. Uh, We might prosper materially, I say, but what is that compared to the loss of God's smile? Jonah had attempted to escape from the presence of the Lord in chapter 1, verse 3. You get that mentioned twice. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a terrible thing? One of the greatest blessings we have as believers is knowing the presence of the Lord. Jesus promised, I'll be with you always the end of the earth, and here's Jonah doing all he can to get away from the presence of the Lord. Realize what a serious thing it was. <laughs> He's getting a taste of it now, isn't he, in the belly of the fish there, away from the presence of the Lord, and doubtless Jonah wishes he had never been so stupid. Notice he sees everything from the hand of God. Notice verse 3 of chapter 2. You cast me into the deep. Well, who who cast 
Jonah into the, the, the deep. Well, the sailors did. The sailors threw him overboard. They hurled him into the sea. But Jonah sees this as the hand of God. God cast him into the sea. Uh, Jonah told them, he was honest at least, that he was the cause of the problem. He was the reason there was this terrible storm. Uh, you've got to throw me overboard if you're going to be saved yourselves. Uh, but he sees this as the hand of God. Uh, again, you cast me into the depths of the sea. Uh, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Uh, it's a very basic thing, but the Jews pretty well saw everything as coming from the hand of the God. Uh, of God. Uh, it was their worldview, we might say. They saw everything as happening from the hand of God. And uh, all too often things happen and say, well, wasn't that a, a strange coincidence? Uh, wasn't that a chance or something like that? Uh, we need to see everything, good and bad, as coming from the hand of the Lord. It was Jonah's fault. He was thrown into the sea, but he saw the hand of God in these things. There was a sovereign God that he uh, looked to. Well, let's notice then his deliverance. Amidst Jonah's distress, there's some hope because he's praying. <laughs> Amazing. I don't know if we were in a similar position in the belly of a fish, how much time we'd spend praying, but Jonah certainly uh, did. Uh, there's always hope when we pray. If God barred the way to the throne of grace, we would be of all people most miserable, would we not? But there's a way always open for believers to come to the throne of grace. If we didn't believe in the power of prayer, we'd have little hope. But we can always come before him. Even in our sin and failure, we can come to the Lord in prayer, and he wants us to. Important lesson to learn too. And Jonah's prayer didn't begin inside the fish, but in the depths of the ocean. Now he should have begun on the ship in the storm. Everyone else seemed to be praying to their gods and the captain wakes him up and says, why aren't you praying to your God? Uh, Jonah didn't uh, uh, want to pray. He, he knew he was the cause of this and uh, perhaps his conscience prevented him praying uh, at that time. But in his distress... When he's in the sea, he calls to the Lord. From the depths of the grave, from shale, and it seemed like it, uh, there Jonah down in the sea. So it wasn't that he was thrown overboard straight into the fish's mouth. Uh, he went down into the depths of the sea there, the Mediterranean uh, Sea, and he talks about uh, uh, the weeds wrapping around his head and so on. Uh, so he was in the ocean, and from the ocean, from the sea, he went into the fish's uh, mouth, so we need to see the stages uh, of that. But Jonah was crying out to the Lord. And, and the wonderful thing about prayer, uh, however great the depths, however distressing the circumstances, we can pray. And we need to remember that we can pray in every situation. Because when you're in the depths, there's only one direction you can go. <laughs> That's upward. Uh, and Jonah, it seems, had realized uh, that. Uh, Jonah called and God heard. So the first step of his answer was the fish. 
the fish wasn't a punishment, the fish was the means of salvation. Uh, in the depths of the sea there, he would have drowned. No question uh, about that. He would have perished. Uh, but the fish was the means of his uh, salvation. Uh, again, look at verses 5 to 7. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought, me, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So the Lord uh, moved Jonah to pray first of all in the sea, uh, and then he was uh, swallowed by the fish. The fish was the means of his uh, salvation. So Jonah knew that God had heard. He was filled with hope. He'd been banished, yet he talks about coming to God's temple. Uh, there was, of course, the, the, the temple of that time, Solomon uh, built, and uh, Jonah has that uh, hope, that expectation that he will uh, be able to return uh, to God's temple. And so he's filled with thanksgiving. See that in verse 9. I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice uh, to you. That's a good lesson, isn't it? We don't have to wait until God has completely delivered us from our distress to praise him. The first sign of God's working on our behalf, we should praise him. We should see his hand in every stage of our experience, our lives there. And uh, Jonah at least recognizing that God is working on his uh, behalf. But imagine if we couldn't pray, if we thought that God was impotent, he had uh, eyes but couldn't see, uh, no way of uh, helping us then verse 8 would apply, wouldn't it? Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I like the, uh, the NIV translation of that. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's a very interesting expression, isn't it? They forfeit the grace that could uh, be theirs. Uh, the grace of God is available to all. Salvation is offered uh, to all. Uh, it's a free offer. The reality is most people don't want it. Uh, no one wants it by nature. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And if salvation is offered to you today, and you neglect it, you're forfeiting the grace that could be yours. You could rejoice in the grace of God in salvation, and if you don't accept that, then you're forfeiting the grace that could be yours. Even Christians, when they don't pray, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Uh, there's so many areas of, of grace. We can receive grace uh, from God. Unbelievers can receive grace in salvation. Christians can receive grace and the many tokens of God's blessing. And if we don't take them, if we don't pray, we are forfeiting the grace that could be ours. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Uh, things you could have if you asked, and uh, if you don't ask, then you're forfeiting the grace, the benefits that could uh, be yours. And yet we must not imagine that our salvation 
for our deliverance from trouble is in our hands. Come back to that great statement in uh, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not because of our response. It's not because of our efforts. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, So it's amazing, isn't it, with Jonah is a real mixture, isn't it, of disobedience to God, running away from God, and yet the recognition of these basic truths that salvation belongs to the Lord. He sees the hand of God uh, in all things. The salvation Jonah had experienced from the sea was from the Lord. The salvation he anticipated from the fish was from the Lord. And uh, that's a good conclusion, isn't it? And uh, we need to remind ourselves often that salvation belongs to the Lord. We do quite well for a while. We're very consistent in our devotions. Read our Bibles every day. We spend our time in prayer. We opportunities to witness and perhaps we're patting ourselves on the back. We're doing all right. No, salvation belongs to the Lord. Every blessing we received comes from the Lord. Every privilege that is ours comes from the Lord. And we need to remind ourselves of that over and over again. All that we have comes from the Lord. Well, Jonah's inside the fish three days and three nights. Plenty of time to reflect on his circumstances. Really, the fish was a halfway house between the sea and the shore. Uh, He'd been delivered from the sea not yet delivered from the fish. But he came to terms with this and made a vow. Notice in verse 9, with a voice of thanksgiving I'll sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. What vow did Jonah make? Well, I wouldn't think there's much doubt. He vowed if he was delivered from the fish he would go to Nineveh. He'd be obedient uh, to the Lord. There are times when uh, vows uh, can be helpful. Vows should never be uh, made lightly, but there may be times when they're helpful. Ecclesiastes uh, tells us, Ecclesiastes 5.4, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better than you should not vow, that you should vow and not There is a place for vows in the Christian life. Remember one of our churches, there was one of the men had a a gambling problem. It wasn't a huge one, but if he went a certain route home from work, he would pass a a sort of an amusement arcade and he would go in there and it was not large scale, but just using coins all the time, but it was beginning, beginning to make a dent in their budget. Uh, and so I tried to help him out there. Uh, I said, well, you don't always go that way on your way home from Hulk. Why did you not make a vow that you will not go home that way? Take another route. And uh, I think he did. Very shortly after that, he died of a heart attack, so wasn't quite sure how it worked out. But there, there may be times when we can make vows if you have a weakness in a certain area, uh, maybe you find yourself watching four or five hours of television a day 
Or maybe you need to make a vow that you won't watch more than an hour a day or something like that. Maybe you have a weakness of going to the fridge too often, getting out snacks. Well, maybe making a vow might be helpful. Just determine before the Lord a promise to God that you will not do that. Or you will do something that is right. Uh, there is a place. I've made vows of myself in my life and they can be uh, helpful. So uh, clearly Scripture speaks in a couple of places about the vows and they may be uh, appropriate uh, at times. One question here. Did Jonah really repent? Scripture doesn't specifically say so, does it? Uh, perhaps it's implied because of his praying uh, to God, uh, but he still had problems. Even when he went to Nineveh, he still had problems, as we'll see when we get to uh, chapter 4. Uh, sometimes we can be very slow to acknowledge our sins, can't we? Uh, we need to confess our sins. Perhaps we regret what's happened, try to carry on as if everything's okay, uh, but we don't actually confess our sins. Maybe Jonah was uh, like that. His uh, confession is not recorded here. Uh, he cried out to the Lord when he was cast into the sea. Perhaps he confessed then, but no mention of it. But it is important for us to confess our sins. One question I've been asked probably more than any other in my pastoral life is, if believers are cleansed from all their sins through the work of Christ, why do we need to confess our sins? Because it's very clear in Scripture there are times when we need to confess our sins. One thing is sure is not to get justified again. Uh, when the Lord forgives us our sins, declares us righteous, that covers all of our sins. We are cleansed. But when we sin... We lose fellowship with God, don't we? Uh, we can get away from the Lord. We grow cold, and as we saw earlier, we can dishonor God with our conduct. We can mar our testimony uh, there. So when we confess our sins, it's not in order to get forgiven all over again. Uh, it is to restore our relationship with God. You know that with your own children, parents. Uh, they maybe act really badly. They're really naughty at times. Uh, they don't cease to be your children, do they? Uh, but they need to ask for forgiveness at times, need to try and get things uh, put right. And that's true with us as believers. Uh, we lose that fellowship with God, uh, our consciences get defiled, and we need that put right. So confess your sins. Uh, ask the Lord to cleanse you afresh. Uh, pray for that restoration of fellowship uh, with the Lord uh, that is so uh, important. Sometimes we confess our sins to God. Sometimes we may also need to confess our sins to people. Uh, perhaps we've wronged them. Uh, we've uh, spoken harshly to them. We've acted in a way that is uh, not honoring to the Lord and uh, sometimes we need to confess there too. It's a matter of humility, uh, seeking a, uh, to be a, a right relationship with them again. But Jonah had learned one lesson. It is not worth disobeying God.
God. It's a serious matter to disobey the Lord, to do what we know is displeasing to him, contrary to his word. And it's better to learn that lesson secondhand than firsthand. What I mean is, learn it from Jonah's experience, not from your own. Uh, realize, yeah, we see what Jonah did, got away from the Lord, disobeyed God, uh, tried to run away uh, from the Lord uh, there. Uh, well, learn from Jonah's experience. You see what happened, uh, the difficulties he got himself uh, in there. Uh, so I say learn it to secondhand rather than firsthand. Well, after Jonah's prayer, God spoke to the fish and he vomited him on the dry land. Now again, that's another miracle, isn't it? He could easily have vomited Jonah in the middle of the Mediterranean. He wouldn't have been much better off, would he, uh, than he was before. Uh, but the Lord brought the fish right to the beach and uh, Jonah was spewed out right on uh, the beach there. So you see so many tokens of God's working, so many, you might call them miracles in one sense, but certainly supernatural events uh, in the book of uh, Jonah. One more question before we finish today. Why didn't the Lord just send someone else to Nineveh? Why didn't the Lord say, listen, Jonah, I've had enough of you. Uh, I'm going to get another prophet. Were there no other prophets in Israel? We don't know. Uh, but the Lord could have sent someone else. Uh, but no, there was something else uh, in, uh, uh, in view. Uh, the conversion of the sailors, of course, was one reason why God dealt with Jonah. But there's another reason, and that is Jonah was a sign. And if we read in Matthew 12, 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater and Jonah is here. Jonah was God's prophet who to all appearances died. What do you think those sailors felt when they reluctantly threw him overboard and the storm amazingly uh, ceased? Uh, did they think that Jonah would survive? Well, <laughs> they took for granted that he was, he was gone. Uh, and when they went to, to Tarshish to their destination and told their story, uh, they wouldn't tell a story of a, a prophet that had come up and gone back to Nineveh. They probably never heard of uh, that uh, again. Uh, so Jonah, to all appearances, died. He was entombed in the fish for three days and three nights and then brought forth from the dead, virtually a resurrection. There are some commentators who feel Jonah did actually die. We can't really... Uh, deny that absolutely. The scripture's not clear uh, whether he actually died and rose again, but certainly, virtually, he died and he rose from the dead. 
And then with he, he went with a message of the gospel to the Gentiles. So you see that Jonah is as good as dead, rises from the dead, and goes to the Gentiles with the message of the gospel. Jesus didn't just appear to die. He certainly died, was buried, entombed for three days, rose, and then went to the Gentiles with the message of the gospel. So you can see one reason why the Lord was using Jonah and didn't go to someone else. He was using Jonah as a type of Jesus, as a picture of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Jesus had a a message before his death, a message of salvation and forgiveness, but it was only valid on the basis of his death. When Jesus said to people, your sins are forgiven, he couldn't have said that unless he knew he was going to die. Because at the cross, of course, atonement was made for sins. There could be no forgiveness without Jesus' death. So in a sense, he spoke that ahead of time, there before the actual event. But you see the parallel there, right? Jonah died as good as died, rose from the dead, went to the Gentiles with a message of the gospel. Jesus died, rose from the dead, and went to the Gentiles with a message of uh, the gospel. Now, a significant uh, scripture in John 12, verse 20. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, Gentiles, So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. You might have some grains of wheat or others and you enjoy them and like the shape of them. You can put them in a little container, put them on your uh, mantelpiece there or dresser. Uh, Lovely grains of uh, of, uh, wheat, uh, but they won't do anything with it. To bear fruit, they have to be planted. They, as it were in a picture, have to die. Then it brings forth uh, fruit. And uh, Jesus is saying, uh, if I just stayed around here. Yes, there are some people could be blessed and saved, uh, but my ministry needs to be wider. Uh, it needs to go for, uh, forth in a far greater uh, area. For the Gentiles to benefit from Jesus' ministry, he had to die. Uh, two reasons. First, he couldn't cover the world in person. Uh, Jesus couldn't have traveled all over the known world, could he, and uh, have an effective ministry there. Uh, Through his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit could multiply his witnesses, and he did. After Pentecost there, the Spirit of God poured out upon the church and a multitude of witnesses to go all over the world with the message of the gospel. And then, of course, he had to die to purchase salvation for Jews and Gentiles. So because Jonah, quote, died and rose again, the Ninevites could hear the gospel because Jesus died 
and rose again, Jews and Gentiles can hear the gospel. We've heard the gospel. I don't think there are any Jews here. We're all Gentiles, but we've heard the gospel. And that is because Jesus died, rose again, and the message of the gospel was uh, sent uh, forth. So we need to ask ourselves as we close, will we respond to this offer of the gospel? The gospel that Jesus offers salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. Will we respond to that or will we forfeit the grace that could be ours? If you reject the gospel or if you neglect the gospel, you are forfeiting the grace that could be yours. May God bring you to see your own need and the fulfillment of uh, Jesus' ministry, his death, his resurrection, the gospel going forth, to see the blessings of salvation and turn to the Lord and know the joy of sins forgiven and the gift of eternal life. Trust the Lord will touch some hearts even this day. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jonah, not only a very interesting case as an individual, he's running from God and yet restored by your mercy and grace, but Father, we also see a a type, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior who died, rose again, and brings the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike. Oh, Father, thank you for uh, the rich teaching in this book. And our prayer is earnestly, Father, that there are any here this morning who do not have that assurance of salvation, who do not know their sins are forgiven, might indeed repent, turn to the Lord, and know the joy of their salvation. We ask this in Jesus.